Hey, folks, did you get one of these when you came in? If not, would you jump up real quick and get one? Uh, there, there's a bunch of them out front on the table and on the chairs. There's some up front here if you need it. Uh, I'm not giving you an outline, but I am giving you a copy of the scripture that we'll be teaching tonight. And uh, I know that you can mark your own notebook or you can mark your Bible and feel free to do that. But I thought it might be good. I'm just kind of trying this to see how it goes. I thought it might be good for you to have something like this where you could take notes on and where you could mark the scripture. And in fact, as we get started tonight, I'm going to ask you to mark some things on this page. And so I hope that you've got one and you'll have a chance. Again, there's some up front and some in the back. Uh, so I want you to have one and mark it up. All right. So here's what I want to do to get started. I want you to take that that passage of scripture that you have and I want you to read it, scan it, read it and, and I want you to mark two things. I want you to look for the name of Christ or Jesus or Lord and circle that and then I also as you're reading I also want you to look for the word pray or prayer or if he says a prayer, if he gives a prayer. I want you to draw a box around the word pray or prayer or a prayer that he may list so circle the words Christ, Jesus, and Lord. Put a box around the word prayer or pray or, or, those, or if you see an actual prayer in the text. All right? So read through those 11 verses and mark your pages quickly, please. All right, have you got it all marked? Again, we're asking for you, as you look at those 11 verses, circling the words Christ, Jesus, or Lord, and boxes around the word pray and prayer. Do you have a lot of marks on your paper? Would you, would you notice, just for example, we won't take time to go over all this, just for example, in the first two verses, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, there's one reference, to all God's people in Christ Jesus, that's the second reference, at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's three references to Christ, to Jesus, in the first two verses. And if you continue through verses 3 through 11, how many references did you find total uh, in that text? 
say it louder, clearer. Four beyond verse beyond verse two, you see four. Here's what I remember. I told you today that the three things that God has challenged me with, and I find in the life of Paul, one of them it was to live like Jesus is real. And when you read through this these first eleven verses, what you see in Paul is Paul is living like Jesus is real. He mentions Jesus over and over and over. And you see that in the text, and you'll see that throughout the whole book, that that Paul is not somebody that's just kind of religious, but he's living like Jesus is real. Another thing that we said today that God has challenged me with is to pray like it matters. And you see in these first 11 verses, again, an example of that, Paul praying like it matters. Paul not just praying prayers like, uh, God bless this food to a nurse from our bodies and our bodies to your service. That's not the kind of prayer he was praying. It was not, now I lay me down to sleep. That's not the kind of prayer Paul was praying. Paul was praying like it mattered. He was praying for people in, his church, in the church there at Philippi. He was praying for God to work in situations. He was praying like it really mattered. So I just want to try throughout the book to highlight those kind of things for you. You may not do it every time, but I want to bring you back again and again to this idea that we should, or my challenge is simply this. Let's say it again together. The first one is what? I couldn't hear that. Okay. All right. So we're going to say it all together. Ready? On one. What's the first one? Worship like you mean it. The second one is pray like it matters. The third one is live like Jesus is real. I just want you to have those in your mind as we go through the text today. or today, And also as we go through the text for the next several weeks, you're going to see that, that concept again and again. Now, before we get into the actual text, before we look at... Uh, chapter 1, the first 11 verses, I thought it would be good for us to go back a little bit and kind of set the stage. You can't do this very well on Sunday morning, but I thought tonight would be a good time to pause, set the stage for the book, help you to understand the book a little bit before we start really jumping into it. So I want to talk about two things. Uh, you take notes however you feel led to take notes. I want to talk to you first of all about the church at Philippi, and then I'm going to talk to you about the letter uh, that Paul wrote to that church. All right. So first of all, let's talk about the church. Paul founded this church, or he started this church, or to use today's terminology, he planted this church on his second missionary journey, uh, probably around A.D. 61, all right, A.D. 61. So, you know, roughly, roughly now, roughly 30 years after the Lord Jesus went back to heaven, about 30 years, Paul is out on these missionary journeys, and, and he's taking the gospel to different places, to new places, and we'll see that in just a moment. And he plants the church in the city of Philippi, a second missionary journey. This was the first church to be established by him in Europe. Uh, if you, we won't have a chance to read all of this, but the, if you want to write it down and, and look at it later, Acts 16, verse 6 through 40, Acts 16, verse 6 through 40, uh, that's the account of Paul going to Philippi and planting the church there, the first church planted in Europe. Now, let's just read one verse there in Acts 16. Would you open your Bibles there real quick? I just want you to see one verse. Uh, verse 12, Acts 16, verse 12. Here, here's what he says. 
From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. Now, we're not going to take time yet to read what happened there, but note those two things about this city of Philippi. First of all, it was a Roman colony. That will come in, uh, that will be important later as we look at some things in the book. Uh, it's a Roman colony, which basically meant this. That piece of ground called Philippi, though it was not in Rome, was treated like it was Rome. They went by similar rules and regulations because it was a Roman colony. It was ruled by Rome. Not only was it a Roman colony, it was also the leading city of that district of Macedonia. You see, when Paul chose a place to preach the gospel, he always did so with the eye of a strategist. Paul often went, almost exclusively went, to the key cities of the world. When he carried the gospel from place to place on his missionary journeys, he didn't go to Possum Kingdom. Nothing wrong with Possum Kingdom. He didn't go to Slabtown. Nothing wrong with Slabtown. But when Paul carried the gospel to the, to the world, he went to the key cities. Why do you think he did that? Talk to me. Here. All right, you got more people there. Absolutely. Why else? Smaller cities will come there. Spread faster. Exactly. So if you start taking the gospel to key cities of the world, then it's going to spread out to the smaller places. That was his strategy. Oh, by the way, that's what the North American Mission Board is doing now. And that's what International Mission Board has started doing now. Uh, North American Mission Board, they're called SEND, S-E-N-D, SEND cities. Uh, there's 32 SEND cities that they've identified in the United States. And, of course, we as a church family are helping to plant churches in two of those. We're helping to plant churches in Cleveland and in Boston key metropolitan cities so that the gospel can start there and be taken to other places. Uh, North, uh, International Mission Board is doing the same thing. They've now identified key cities around the world, London being one of those, for example. Key cities around the world where they're taking the gospel, focusing their energies. You see, you, you can't take the gospel everywhere when you're just one person. So you've got to be selective on where you go. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, often took the gospel to strategic key cities in the area. Philippi was, those kind of, was one of those kind of places. Now, the birth of the church was important. How the church was born. Let's, let's go back to Acts 16. We're not going to read the whole thing, but let me show you how the church got started, how he planted this church. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath... We went outside to the city gate. Uh, went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Now, now I've experienced this before. I bet some of you have too. When you're on a mission trip, it's like, okay, these people need Jesus, but where do we start? How do you get started? And uh, when when we were in Vietnam recently and, and Indonesia recently, that, that was kind of the overwhelming thing for me. Is like millions, millions of people. Where do you start? And so Paul, as he came to this very strategic city, looking at all the people in this large city, where do you start? And Paul found out there's a place of prayer. It wasn't a building. It was a place down by the river. And so he went down by the river uh, and expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. See, she was in Philippi, but she was not from Philippi. 
a perfect example of how the gospel, you, you take the gospel to the big city and it goes to other places. And, and so one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. Now, don't let that throw you. That doesn't mean that she was a Christian. It meant that she was uh, following the Jewish faith but had not yet converted to Judaism. So she was a worshiper of God. She was following the Jewish faith, but she was not, uh, she was not yet a convert to Judaism. But she was someone interested in God. She followed the Jewish faith. That's what that means. All right, so she was a worshiper of God. And look at this. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So here is this woman uh, uh, who is following the Jewish faith, and now she hears the gospel for the first time. Now she hears the good news about Jesus Christ. And the Lord opened her heart, and she responded to what Paul said. Verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. So not just Lydia was saved, but also the members of her household were saved. And they were, they were baptized. She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, and not just a worshiper of God, but if you consider me a believer in the Lord now, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So Lydia was one of the first people around whom this church started. And then... Uh, I wish we had the time just to dig into it. But the rest of the chapter talks about two other people. And let me tell you who they are. I'll just tell you the story. There are two other people that were involved in this church plant. Uh, one was a slave girl who had this demon that her master kind of used her to make her tell, the, tell fortunes and kind of foretell the future. And once she got saved and the demon was cast out of her, he lost all of that income. He didn't like that very well. And so what he did was he, he found out what happened to her. Well, there's this man named Paul who spoke to her. And this man named Paul cast this demon out of her. And so this, this master, this slave owner, had Paul arrested. Put him in jail. Now, while, while Paul was in jail, he started singing and worshiping. Remember I told you one of the things... God challenged me with his worship like you mean it. Paul did that in jail. He was worshiping the Lord. And, and as he worshiped the Lord, the jailer was listening. Long story short, you'll have to read it for yourself. Long story short, the jailer is saved. He and his family, they are baptized. So all of a sudden, you've got this group of people now, don't you? New Christians. You have Lydia and her family. You have this slave girl who, who was possessed by a demon and now she's saved. And then you have this Philippian jailer and his family. And all of these are, are new converts. They're new believers. They've all been baptized. Now what do you do with them? You start a church. And that's what Paul did. The church began in Lydia's house when she and her family responded to the gospel and were baptized. Now, from that point on, from that point on, Paul and the church always had a close relationship. You know, for example, right now, um, we got a team in Cleveland right now, Tony and Beth Lacetto. And uh, they're up there, Tony and Beth living in old Brooklyn community of, of Cleveland. And uh, I can guarantee you 10, 10 years from now, I can guarantee you 10 years from now, 
Tony and Beth will be talking about their church, they'll say, you remember Mr. So-and-so and how he was one of the first people who helped us get this church started? Do you remember Mr. and Mrs. and how they were so instrumental in helping us get this church off the ground? There will always be that close relationship because of that small group of people, that core group of people who helped launch the church. That was the situation for Paul. There was this group of people, this core group of people who became very near and dear to him. Uh, They were an essential part of the church. Now, not only did, did Paul have a good relationship with them, they cared very much about Paul. And I want, to, I want to give you a little bit of a kind of a historic overview here and just jot some notes down somewhere because this, this, you'll see this throughout the book, uh, references to this throughout the book. This church that cared so much about Paul, and Paul cared so much about them because he helped plant that church, this church heard about 10 years later that Paul was back in prison. This time he's not in prison in Philippi. This time he's in prison in Rome. And he's in prison for about two years. And, and the people in Philippi hear about the imprisonment of Paul in Rome. And so they sent a man named Epaphroditus. If you want to take notes, you can guess how to spell that. You'll find it in Scripture. Epaphroditus. We're not exactly sure if he was just a layman, an important layman in the church, or if he was perhaps one of the pastors in Philippi. I, I tend to think that he, he might have been one of the pastors in Philippi. So this church in Philippi hears that Paul is in prison in Rome. They send Epaphroditus to Paul in prison to minister to him. And he does two things for Paul when he's there. He expresses to Paul the affection of the saints in Philippi. Paul, I just want you to know, folks back in Philippi, they still remember you. Paul, they still love you. Paul, they're still thankful for you. Paul, they're still praying for you. And so he does that. And the second thing that he does is that Epaphroditus carries a love offering from the people in Philippi to Paul to help meet the needs that he had. Let me show you what I'm talking about. You've got your your Bible there, hopefully. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now, it's interesting. This is not the only time that the church at Philippi sent a gift to Paul. At other times when they found, watch this, they had such a close relationship with Paul that at other times when they found out that Paul was a man in need, that here was a minister in need, they also sent gifts. Let me show you chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Look what he said. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, that is when I left you guys at Philippi, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. So here's the church had a very dear, supportive relationship with Paul. And by the way, uh, Epaphroditus stayed with Paul for a good while and nearly died serving there. We'll talk about that later. I don't want to run out of time. So we'll talk about that when we, when we're late, when we get to it later. Now, so let's look at the text now. That, that's kind of a, a background about the, the church and the letter that, that Paul wrote. Let me make sure I covered everything. 
Um, oh, no, there's some other things I need to tell you about the letter. Uh, that was the church. Here's the letter. Let me tell you some things about the letter. We're very fortunate that the letter reveals a lot about itself. It was written by Paul while he was in prison. Now, how do we know that it was written by Paul while he was in prison? Look in chapter 1, verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Paul talks about being in chains. And then he's again in chap- chapter 1, verse 12 through 14 Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And so it's very clear that Paul is in prison when he's writing this. Um, And in chapter uh, 1, verse 13, he talks about the the, uh, palace guard or the praetorian guard. So that's a reference probably to the fact that he was imprisoned in Rome. We know that by the the type of guards that was there. So, last thing I'll tell you about Philippians before we start reading the text. When when, when Epaphroditus came and brought Paul this gift, and when he stayed there and ministered to Paul for a while, Paul sat down to write a thank you letter. How many people still write thank you letters? Do Do you take the time to do that? I hope you do. It's important that you do that. I got a thank you letter today. Uh, from, from I, where I was teaching a class at Charleston Southern this morning. I, I got a thank you letter. And I thought that was a nice thing to do that. It was to take the time to write that out. And so here's Paul. He has this monetary gift from the church at Philippi. He has Epaphroditus, a brother from the church at Philippi, there to encourage him and to help him as he's in prison. And Paul sits down to write basically a thank you letter to the church. We call it Philippians. Now, there's more than just thank you in it. Certainly, he addresses some issues in the church. But, but kind of the, the impetus behind that was his love for the church, his connection, for the church, or connection to the church, and his desire to express his appreciation to the church. And, and you'll see that as you look at the text with me now. You'll see this connection and his appreciation for the church. Let's start reading the text. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. The saints, the word saints, by the way, is just the word hagios, and it simply means separated one. We, we think of saints as, as, you know, stained glass windows, but it just simply means those that are set apart, set apart by God, set apart to serve the Lord. Uh, today we would use the word Christian, perhaps. To all the saints, the Christians in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers. Overseers is a word uh, that has different, uh, is it synonyms? Bishop, elder, overseer, they're all the same word. It means basically pastors, if you want to put that in your notes. The overseers are those who oversee the people, oversee the work of the church. That's the pastors, the overseers, and, and, and the deacons, those who serve and meet the needs in the church. So he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, if you, if you read that carefully, grace and peace, it needs to be in that order, doesn't it? Now, now walk with me through this. It needs to be in that order. You know what grace is? Grace is doing that work in my life that I don't deserve. And when God does that gracious work in my life that I don't deserve, that leads to peace. So it's important the, the wording here is important, grace and peace. 
And that is the work of God. Great, and, and notice what he says. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he says in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. Now, you understand a little bit of why he said that, right? Because this was a group of people that he, that he loved dearly, that he had a relationship with, that they... He went to their city and he started a church there. He led many of them personally to faith in Christ. So, so Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. So, so let me give you an outline. I'm going to try to give you these points as we work our way through the text. First of all, uh, this outline is, is kind of like a personal application. The first thing I would say is this. Number one, look back with selective memory. Look back. This is something that will help every one of us. Look back on your life with selective memory. Here. There was, Paul made a deliberate decision, apparently, to remember the good things and not the bad things of life. Because look what he says in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. Now, you don't even have to know everything that happened to him, but do you think that, that every day while Paul was there, it was always good? Do you think that he just had good things happen to him the whole time he was there? No. You can rest assured that if you read chapter 16 and, and, and other places, you, you'll find out that there were some bad things that happened to Paul while he was in Philippi. There were some rough times in Philippi. But Paul chose his memories some of them were painful memories. Some of them were extremely bitter times. But when Paul looked back at Philippi, rather than being hounded by the painful memories of the past, here's, here's what he said. He said, I thank God every time I remember you. He, now, we probably would have said, I tell you what, after I was hounded by that demon-possessed girl and after I was arrested illegally and beaten... After I was placed in stocks, after I was publicly humiliated, I'll never forget that experience, but that's not Paul. Paul says, I thank God. And it struggled, it made me struggle for a while. Could he say that with integrity? Knowing some of the things that he experienced in Philippi, could he say that with integrity? I thank God every time I remember you. I think so, and I think Paul had... A selective memory. And one of the reasons I brought my big Bible, my, this is my personal study Bible, one of the reasons I brought that today is because, and you can't see it from where you are, but beside verse 3, I've written the, the name Crestview with an arrow. I thank God every time I remember you. Now, be patient with me. Listen to this. So, most of you know, but some of you may not, Crestview is the church that I, the first church that Lisa and I were at, first church I pastored. I went there in 1990, no, I came here in 1996. I went there in 1986. I was there for 10 years. Went there from, straight out of seminary, from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Went to these dear people I did not know, but we quickly fell in love with. Crestview is where all three of our kids were born. Crestview is where I learned to be a pastor. I'd never been a pastor before. Crestview is where I kind of learned how to do it. And years ago, 
after I became pastor here at Mount Airy. Years ago, one day while I was reading Philippians chapter 1, when I came to verse 3, my mind flooded back to that church. And I wrote Crestview in the column. But now listen to me. Not everything that happened at Crestview was good. There were some hard times. This, you know, there's some people who probably didn't like me or fussed at me. or, You know, there, there, there were some painful things. But when I look back at it now, I don't think about those. In fact, I don't even remember. I can't even think of any right now. All I can think of right now is good memories of Crestview. And I can honestly say, as I think about those people, Curtis and Raymond Lou Robbins, John and Eula Kirby, um, Barbara and Clyde Tuttle, and, and a host of other people like that, I can honestly, honestly say, I thank God every time I remember you. You see, there is, there is a benefit in having a selective memory. Now, some of you say, Pastor, I'm kind of offended you don't have Mount Airy in your Bible there. Because I'm still here. See, Paul was looking back. By the way, when he wrote this letter, he, would, he had probably gone, been gone about 10 years. Looking back about 10 years, and he was about 800 miles away from them. But time and distance had not erased the love he felt for those people. Time and distance had not diminished the love he had for them in his heart. I thank God every time I remember you. He probably could remember Lydia and how she and her household were one to Christ down by the riverside. He probably could think back and remember that midnight singing and the earthquake and the Roman jailer saying, what must I do to be saved? He, he probably remembered how that poor demon-possessed girl was set free and, and what a look of joy she had on her face when she did. Now, 10 years later, 800 miles away, Paul sitting in a prison cell began to think back to those dear people and he had the capacity to remember the best and forget the rest. You know, that'd help you too, wouldn't it? To look back and remember the best and forget the rest. Um, if you want to enjoy life, man, time is, golly. If you want to enjoy life, don't swim through the cesspool of the worst that's happened to you. If you want to enjoy life, develop the capacity to think about the best that's happened to you. See, the reason some of you are miserable is because you're still swimming in the cesspool of the worst that's happened to you. And you cannot get past it. You will not let go of it. And all you can think about is how poorly you were treated. But if you want to experience the joy that Paul writes about in this letter, then think about best that has happened develop that capacity and let go of the rest that's happened I, I'll give you this illustration Dr. Ray Summers a former professor at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary Dr. Ray Summers taught tens of thousands of students someone asked him a very good question said Dr. Summers how do you remember your students when you see them he said once they get out of my class I remember them all as A's he, he, he said, I don't say there goes a D minus, there's an F, 
He said, once they get out of my class, I remember them all as A's. We have a choice on what we remember. Paul says, I thank God for every remembrance of you. Now, look what it, this, this is the verse that challenged me as the next two verses challenged me a lot. Uh, so, so the first part of the outline, uh, I said, look back with a selective memory. Number two, pray for others rather than yourself. Pray for others, not just yourself, rather. Pray for others, not just yourself. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The obvious that Paul could have... I mean, it's obvious that Paul could have been preoccupied with praying for himself, could he not? Talk to me. Where was he when he wrote this letter? So when he wrote this letter, he could have said, Hey folks, I got some things I need you to pray about. I mean, you sent Epaphroditus, and I appreciate that. You sent a gift, and boy, I'm grateful for that. But buddy, you need to pray for me, because let me tell you about the hard things I'm enduring right now. Let me tell you about the awful things that have happened to me here in this prison. Let me tell you what it's like to be chained to a guard 24-7. That's not what he did. Paul spent time praying for others rather than praying for himself, or not just for himself. Now, if anybody had the excuse to have a pity party, it would have been Paul. The way he was treated and what he had to live through, but rather than asking for their prayers, he was praying for them. And and folks, listen, write this down, write this down. Let me say it first, then you can write down in shorthand. One of the best ways I found to get my mind off of my own difficulties is to call the name and the need of others to the Father. This young lady, Mac told us about, is a perfect example. Five years old, right, Mac? Five little, five-year-old little girl. And did you say she has brain cancer? Or brain tumor or something? All right. So, so here's a little five-year-old girl struggling with cancer. One of the best ways that I've found to get your mind off your own difficulties is to simply spend time calling the name and the needs of others before the Lord. Now, I want you to go back. You got your pen ready? You got that paper ready? I want you to go back to verse 4, and I want you to, to underline the word all. It's, it's not very, it won't take you long. But, but I want to make sure that it's marked in your, in your text. Watch this. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Paul was selective in his memory, but not in his praying. He prayed for every one of them. Isn't that interesting? I would suggest to you that if you've got an enemy, one of the best ways to deal with that is to pray for him or pray for her. You can't hate a man and pray for him at the same time. And so Paul, as he looked back 10 years ago at this church at Philippi, and he looked at these dear people, and he loved the church as a whole, but there were some people, you know, there were some people who are not, who were, we'll just say, less than ideal. Less than loving. Got anybody like that in your life? Somebody that's less than ideal? Less than loving? That was Paul. And yet, here's what he says. In all my prayers, here's the way we would have written it. In all of my prayers, or when I pray, I pray for some of you. 
Or I pray for most of you. If we were honest, right, that's the way we'd have to write it. In my prayers, I pray for some of you or I pray for most of you. But Paul says, and this challenged me when I was studying this, Paul said, I, I pray for, for all of you. I want to say something to you. It may sound harsh. I don't mean it to be. I'm just trying to be honest with you. If there are certain people you cannot pray for, you're the one with the problem. You should be able to pray for everyone. Now, your prayer might be, God, would you save that dirty, low-down, good-for-nothing? <laughs> Start where you, wherever you can. Start somewhere. But, but pray for all people. Now, here's what he says. and We're, we're just going to have to close. Uh, my goodness. All right, let, verse 5 be a good place. Verse 4 and 5 be a good place to close. And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray, here it is, with joy. Always pray with joy. Here's why. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The first day. What do you think the first day meant? Your partnership in the gospel. What's the first day? Yeah, the first day would be those... Probably the first day when he was on the riverbank with Lydia. From the first day until now. When is now? Now was ten years later. So watch this. Paul planted this church in Philippi. When he planted the church in Philippi, the gospel took root. Ten years later, he says, and it's still bearing fruit. You're still partnering partnering with me in this gospel work. Now, here's what I want to challenge you to do as you read the Word this week. Especially in chapter 1, but actually through the whole book, but especially in chapter 1. I've done this in my Bible. I went through my Bible and I underlined the gospel. In my Bible, my study Bible, I've got it marked in red uh, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. You'll see that phrase, and it's important to the rest of the book. You'll see it in nearly every chapter, uh, the gospel, the gospel. Um, I think the only chapter you don't sit in is in chapter 3, but you'll see it in chapter 1, 2, and 4, and you'll see it a lot in chapter 1. And I want you to look for that phrase, this idea of partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. All right. You've been very good. I know I'm still just trying to, to get this plane to take off. I'm still taxing down the runway in some ways. Intended to get through verse 11, but you know me by now, and you're not surprised. Amen. Sad thing is, I'm, I'm supposed to be done at the end of November, but maybe it's November 2018. All right, let me pray with you. Lord, we do love you. Help us to love you the way we should love you more and I, I do want to thank you for those those people that you bring into our lives people that we can look at or sometimes look back to 
and say, I thank God on every remembrance of you. There are special people you bring into our path, and we are grateful for them. Special people who partner with us in the gospel. Would you challenge us, Lord, as as we read the text this week, as we look at this book, as we see this concept of the gospel, challenge us with that. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, folks. Hey, Wednesday night, I'll be teaching again on experiencing God. Hope to see you here.